This is uh, session five. Can you believe we're five sessions in? Session five, uh, the walk demonstrated. The gospel makes a difference in the believe in the believer. There's a word missing. Believer. It must be believers. Love and life. Life. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is I copied that right out of uh, out of the thing from the yeah, title. That's what it says in the book. That's what it says in the book. Yeah. So I got it right. That's what makes a difference in the way believers love. In the way believers. Oh, you left out the way. Ah, that's what I'm missing. I'm missing a word. Okay. The way believers. Yeah. Okay. Wow. No, it's a, see believe the way. I'm missing the way. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the way believers love and live. Sorry about that. I need to put the little uh, carrot thing with. Uh, okay. It was a rough week. Um, so we'll be in First Thessalonians chapter four, verses one to twelve today. Uh, so you can go ahead and flip there. The uh, Thessalonians were struggling. We talked about that in the previous several things. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Paul who's going to give them an exhortation on how to live. So it's going to change a little bit. So he was concerned about what was happening in Thessalonica. To the believers, they were under persecution, they were under pressure from within, they were under pressure from without um, to change the way they worshiped. The Jews wanted them to become Jews and just give up all the rest of this stuff. The Gentiles or the non-believers wanted them to worship the emperor so that they could keep him appeased and all that and Paul was greatly concerned as this starting out church was struggling with what to do sent Timothy Timothy went checked it out came back told Paul hey things are looking really good they're doing it so Paul was all excited we saw that last week just how he was rejuvenated by the report now he's going to move into actually teaching and telling them in this letter that, you know what? There's a way to live. And that's what we're going to look at. The walk demonstrated this morning. So let's uh, jump in. We'll start with uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Somebody read that nice and loud for us this morning. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Paul loves to use that word, finally. And then he goes on for like another ten chapters. Um, this isn't his final statement, uh, as we'll see. But finally, he's uh, getting to what he really wants to write about. That's really what's going on. 
he really wants to write about this because he talks about, hey, we told you while we were there. And it's interesting, the whole purpose of man is what? To glorify God, to worship him, to please him, to focus our activity on him. And so that's what, that's what Paul's going to talk about here. Um, pleasing God. Uh, in our outline over here, you can see we've come through uh, his greetings, his condemnation, or commendation for the Thessalonians. Their conduct in ministry, their concerns. Now we're talking about a call to sanctification. It's one of those big words that we don't really like because now we're talking about doctrine and, and stuff like that. And it's like that. It's not. It does. It always seems like it's not practical. But the reality is, is that it is because it's about how we should live. We should live pleasing to God. That that's the call for the Christian, right? We're to be Christ-like. That's what being. A Christian is to be like him and if we're like him if we're imitating him then we're pleasing to God aren't we because Christ himself was pleasing to God the father said it he billowed it from the heavens for all creation to know that this is his son with whom he is well pleased pleased yes so how do we please God well we need to be like him so Paul's going to tell us about that see and I think we forget this we put all these big words, sanctification and stuff like that. And the church has really used these as whipping posts for the people over the centuries. And they become words that are not words that people like. They don't want to hear them and all that. Because it's not, it, it's, it doesn't help me. It doesn't do anything for me. And the problem is, is that in recent years, the church has become very me-focused. It's about me and my relationship with Christ. Well, no, it isn't. It's about your relationship to God and to pleasing Him. We're the servant. We're the one that is supposed to be doing it. He doesn't do things for us. That's not how it works. Now, He does. He gives good gifts and He does all that. But that's not what it's about. It's about us pleasing him and that's not very popular in Christian circles today is it? No, we, we need to we need to spend more time in prayer so God will answer our prayers like he's a giant vending machine Ah, oh, look I got my uh, my thing you know it's, it's one of those you got the little keypad you just got to get the right you know how it is you, you always end up with the wrong number ah oh, I ended up with a Mars bar I wanted the twins <coughs> rats try again you know but that's that's not what it is <coughs> life is about pleasing God and we come to it in, in Christian circles we have come to salvation even as just fire in church you don't want I mean just think about it many of the ways that we try to lead people to the Lord is when you don't want to go to hell right well who in the right mind is going to say you know what I can't wait to go to hell just leave me alone that's where I want to be. I want to suffer for eternity. Really? Like, th that's the kind of person that I call the little guys in the white coats. <laughs> but we, we, we talk to people. We preach these messages and, you know, come to the front, come to the altar, because you don't want to go to hell. Well, it's, it's not about where I'm going. It's about what's right. It's about what God intended. 
It's understanding my place in the universe. Do you, do you know where your place is in the universe? Do you know how that works? Why we're here? I mean, we, we know the right answers. We just gave them to me. But do we actually understand that? That's what Paul's talking about. Continual spiritual growth and maturity is the goal. We don't get saved just to be saved. It's not saved, once saved, always saved. It's a progression. Now, yes, your salvation is free, but sanctification is not. Sanctification is work. We are to become like Christ. He takes care of the problem of our sin so that we can interact with the Father, so that we can interact with the Son, so that the Holy Spirit can indwell in us in order so that we can have this continual spiritual growth. That's not popular in churches today. That's not popular in most Christian communities because it's not about me. Why do I need to conform to him? God needs to conform to me. I'm sophisticated. I know what, what life is like, and he doesn't live here anyway. He, he needs the whole idea that, that God's my co-pilot. He's not my co-pilot. He's the pilot. He's the guy flying the plane. I'm in baggage. <laughs> I go where he's wanting. And see, that's not, we, we don't like that. We like God to, we, okay, we're going to pray for what our new endeavor is. And God's going to bless it. Maybe. Are you sure that endeavor is what he wants you to be doing? He may have a different plan. For years, we thought we were going to go to, to South America as missionaries. And that's, we, we prayed that way, we thought that way, and then we got a phone call from Korea at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's like, what? Korea? No, 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 I've been there once. I don't want to go back there. <laughs> but that's where he had us go. Continual spiritual growth and maturity. That's how we please God. He, we move closer to him, closer to what his idea of perfection is, which is his son. It is not perfection. God does not expect perfection out of us. He expects the continual working, right? We will be perfected, right? Some of you are like, yeah, maybe, no. <laughs> will we be perfected? Yes. When? When we see him. When we, see him. Yeah. when we get that new body. We think of the body, and, and, and again, this is just part of our self-centeredness. When we get that new body, our thought is it won't have pain. That bum knee, that trick hip, that busted up shoulder, the whatever illness I have, it's going to be gone, right? Sure, that's an after effect. What's the real effect? No more sin. You're going to have a body that hasn't been born into sin. that. That's the view. We're now we'll be in a state of grace, a state of perfection, that God can look upon us. <clears throat> it is dangerous for believers to become spiritually comfortable or apathetic. That's where we are in this world today, aren't we? We're apathetic. Most Christian circles, they're okay. A little sin is okay. We don't mind as long as it doesn't affect us. We overlook it. 
in every area of life. Maybe not maybe in our life, but in others. Okay, yeah, sure. So he's, they're doing this, that, or the other thing. I've been in churches where the pastor called out somebody who was sleeping around on his wife and was an elder, and they wouldn't do anything about it. They voted the pastor out. And this was a solid Bible-believing church. But his family was one of the founding members of the church. We, we can't get rid of him. We can't condemn him. Don't you know who he is? The pastor was an outsider brought in to do pastory things. And what does he know? We've been here forever, right? That's apathetic. We look at sin and say, well, that, that, that sin isn't as important as the person or how much they give. Oh, how many churches get caught up in that? If somebody's a big donor. Oh, well, yeah, we really can't go talk. Really? See, this is part of pleasing God. This is us being sanctified. And guess what? When we walk with the Lord, it isn't pleasing the people. What pleases God doesn't please men. It involves, or uh, pleasing God also is not voluntary. <coughs> we don't get to say, you know what, I don't feel like doing it. I want to be saved, but I don't want to please God. You're willing to accept his, his suffering for your salvation, but you're not willing to accept his burden of life. See, that's what Israel did, didn't they? We have the whole Old Testament. Israel is standing at the mountain. God's bellowing from it. And their response was, we don't want to hear from God anymore. Moses, you talk to him, and we'll, we'll just do whatever you said. Did they? They were willing to take the land. Hey, great, this is nice land. <coughs> yeah, but we don't like your rules. So we'll, we'll kind of we'll, we'll play nice with your rules. But we like the Canaanite rules, so we're going to go with those. This is the land God gave you. It was his gift. And then they got mad when he took it away, right? We just saw that in Daniel and Ezekiel, right? God's like, you didn't play by the rules out of the sandbox. And they were all upset, right? It's not voluntary. We don't get to choose. We don't get to decide whether we want to please God. If we claim to be from him and of him, and we're taking his offered salvation, then we want to be part of him, right? Can you imagine marrying your spouse and saying, you know what, I don't want to live with you. We're going to be married. We're going to stay married, and we're going to, we're going to do all that. But, yeah, I just can't stand living with you. I'm going to go live somewhere else. How long do you think that will last? Yeah. It just doesn't work. But we think we can pull that off with God. Ah, God, I want to I I come to heaven because I don't really want to go to hell. But I don't really want to do... I don't want to be with you. I don't like you, God. Your, your, your ways are too difficult. They're not fun. It involves our being spiritual. It involves all our being. Spiritual, physical, emotional... Mental, everything. Our whole person. See, we, we want to just say, well, it's just spiritual. It's just me and my spirit. 
and yeah or my spirit and my emotion they go together but you know what I do my money my house my time those are my things and I'm going to do what I want with them or mental you know I, I don't think about God during the week that's a that's a Sunday thing I put it over here and then the rest of the week I'm absolutely a tyrant at work or my home um, our, our minds all of it belongs to God right we're supposed to capture all these things and bring them in line with Christ in order to be sanctified to be sanctified or pleasing to God so that's what Paul's talking about right any questions comments it's an ugly word isn't it because we have to change I have a question okay Sanctification, is it something that we submit ourselves to, or is it something that we do ourselves? Something that God does. Yeah, it's well, something. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's both. It's submitting yourself to God in order to change, but you always have the free will not to do it. You ever have that little voice? I need to be doing this, and it, it's there's a whole argument in you. It, it happens to me all the time. I don't want to do that! No! Oh, right, fine. Yeah, that, that, see, now that's sanctification. That's the struggle. Paul talks about that in other places, right? In Corinthians and stuff, where there's that struggle, Romans. I do what I don't want to do to do what I do want to do. You know, this, this whole struggle, that, it goes on inside of us. If you don't have that struggle going on in you, either you have reached sainthood in a, to a level... <laughs> Or uh, you need to check yourself. Are you, are, what are you doing? Because that's a constant, uh, you know. Because that's Christ working in us. That's the Holy Spirit in you who's chipping those little those angles off to make us more like Christ. So yes, it's both. It's him working in us and us submitting to the work that he's running in us. I ask that question because I grew up, I don't know if I should say this, I grew up Baptist. <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that wasn't taught very well. Wasn't no, taught very well. no, no, it, it, it's not. Um, and the more Calvinistic you are, well, you're just going to be get, you're going to be that way. It's not about you, you're just, you're for, God's going to force you into it. Yes and no. His grace will draw you that way, but there is free will. See, and then you've got the Armenians on the other side that you can throw it all out. Yeah, somewhere in between those arguments where I submit. Because Paul talks about the sovereignty of God all the time. And you know how it is with a king. You've got to submit to him, right? Yeah, we have to submit. If, if it was the other way, then, then we wouldn't have to do anything. And we would just be automatons. We're little God robots. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And he didn't want that. He wanted us to choose him. And that's really what the that's really what heaven and hell is all about. Heaven is a place where God will not be. There will be nothing of God in hell. Because people have chosen not to have him. Here's your choice. You can either choose God or not choose God. That's what mankind has the choice of. If you want God, you will have all of him. And if you don't want him, you'll have none of him. 
The problem is, is that hell is a place of pain and suffering because everything good comes from God. God. There's no love outside of God. Yeah. So if you take all that away, what are you left with? Huh? Utter misery. When you remove everything beautiful, everything good, everything amazing goes with God, and that'll be in heaven. <coughs> there's nothing. There, there's the self-centeredness of man focusing on himself and nobody else. Because God's the only one that focuses on everybody else. We don't do it naturally. Christ-like love is not something we attain. A state of being or an emotion. It is an ongoing action that we constantly strive to improve. That's Christ-like love. That isn't, we, we don't do it. We don't arrive. We don't get there. There isn't this one day you just wake up and boom, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm all that and then some. It's a constant combat question. Go ahead. Sorry. No. No, sorry. That's what this is um, about. I just read a verse uh, the other day. It really was helpful, and I and I knew it, but I never really understood it. For me, Paul says, I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So when we're in the Lord, we keep pressing toward that mark. Yeah. yeah. It's the standard. It's the standard. Being Christ-like is it's not an accomplishment it's a path that doesn't end until we arrive in heaven is it one in here or is it me okay well it, I, I turned it on but it's yeah, I haven't talked to Chad here we go okay this is um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 3 through 8 but this is out of the New American Standard um, and I chose this because there are some issues with this set of passages that in, in the ESV and the NIV and, and some of the other translations, the, the New American Standard is a very word-for-word -word translation. It's very difficult to read because it follows the logic of the Greek language. Um, I'll read this for us. <clears throat> for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So who wants to know the will of God? I think we all do, right? We all pray about that, right? Here it is. Your sanctification. Now he's going to explain. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, and not in lust, lustful passions like the Gentiles, who do not know God, and that no one violate the rights and take advantage of his brother, or sister in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Just as we also told you previously and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in sanctification. Therefore, the one who rejects this is not rejecting man, but rejecting the God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Paul writes a lot about sexuality, doesn't he? 
And for probably the last, I don't know, 150 years in the world, or at least in the Western world, uh, we were dominated by the Victorian constructs of the sexes and all of that. And it was very <coughs> binding. You didn't talk about it. It was ignored. It was, you know, it was one of those things that was done in secret and hidden away. And there was no openness um, through the Victorian era, uh, which developed into the modern era. And then along came, oh, you know, the 1960s. And the whole thing exploded. Everything that they hid away and didn't talk about and ignored exploded onto the scene. And ever since then, it has been a mainstay in society, hasn't it? As much as they did not discuss sex, even among the sexes and families and stuff in those days, it is now broadcast everywhere. It's used in everything from selling cars. I mean, how much? I don't, I, don't, I don't care if it's a dump truck. They use it to sell dump trucks. I mean, how much unsexy can you be with a dump truck? I mean, it hauls dirt, rocks. But they use it, right, to selling clothing, which there you would expect it. But it's used and abused. We now have international sex trafficking rings. It has become enormous and an issue. It's on every billboard, every magazine. Do they still make magazines? <laughs> every uh, yeah, newspaper, quote unquote. It's on every computer screen. I mean, half the ads you get are using it to sell you something. If not just straight out, outright selling you sex. I get, uh, yeah, my spam trash can will have 300 messages. Hey, want to get together? How annoying is that? I mean, they're not even solicited. They're just spam bots. When we come to this passage, though, the early church fathers, and this is interesting, I had to do a little digging. Um, the early church fathers had a slightly different translation to this text. Um, on two words. Two words. First word, possess. That word in the Greek is a little different. And this word, vessel. These two words um, were problematic for the later church. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, I, I want to get rid of this word and this word and, and replace it with acquire. See, we have this idea that we need to possess our own vessel. What does that say to you? You own it. Okay, you own it. But in this context... That you cannot possess it? That you get it? Huh? That you cannot possess it? No, not quite. The context here is, is that you abstain from sexual immorality, and if you possess your vessel, it's kind of like you're supposed to control okay. your, yourself, the, the idea here. And that's not what he's talking about. To acquire, and then we're going to scratch out this word and replace it with wife. The word vessel here is the same word that other places, like she's the weaker vessel, and places like, same word. But they use it in the ESV. Who's got an ESV? What does it say? Control your own body. Control your own body. <coughs> That's not the context. 
That's not what Paul is talking about. The Augustine and others from his time looked at the word, and he, it, it's supposed to be wife, that this was the accepted way. You are to abstain from sexual immorality that each of you acquire a wife because there's no issue with sex in marriage, is there? This, this is a huge issue. The Catholic Church, the early Catholic Church, when they translated this to the other languages through the Vulgate, changed it because they believed that the priest should be celibate, yes. And because celibacy was seen as being a higher thing, well, if Paul says that in order to abstain from sexual immorality, you're supposed to acquire a wife, we've got a problem, don't we? Because then you're not celibate. See, there, there, there's the, the later church had issues because of the control that they were using. I mean, the whole reason they made the priest be celibate was so that the churches wouldn't pass on father to son, that they would go back to the pope so that they could redistribute them as they saw fit. There, there's, a, there's a whole, you start digging into some of this stuff, some of those rules. Uh, it, it had to do with control by the, the central church and stuff. It's why the Anglican church, they can marry. They didn't buy into all this, and they did. They passed on father to son and a lot of that. But we're to acquire a wife in order to abstain from sexual immorality. Why? Why do we know that this is the context besides the early church fathers, guys like Augustine and Theodore of Meso Meso Mesopotamia? Not Mesopotamia, but Mesopotamia. Why do we know this? Because God told us all the way back, in Genesis that it was not good for man to be alone. Everything that Chris has been preaching on the last week or so, right? It's not good for us to be alone. So how could the higher calling be celibacy? Uh, you know, Paul talks about it that it should, if, it, if God calls you to it for a time, then do so so that you can minister. But that wasn't the regular calling. That wasn't the normal average person. This is the normal average person. Get married. Enjoy it in marriage because the Greeks and the Romans had a different view, didn't they? What was the Greek and Roman view of sex? Wife, girlfriend, and mistress. Yeah. <laughs> Wife, girlfriend, and mistress. Actually, it's even worse than that. They were well known for their parties where they were huge orgies, everybody doing everybody else, right? Swing forward to today. Did you know there are whole communities that are built on the concept of swinging? You go to a party and you pick somebody else and go home with them. And your wife picks somebody else and goes home with them. And they do this on like a weekly, weekly basis or every few nights. There are whole communities. That's what they are. Subdivisions. They're closed subdivisions. And you, you interview to move in. And if you meet their criteria meaning you're a like-minded type person and you got a decent-looking wife and all that. Yeah, and, that, and it's expected. It's an expectation. And it isn't just like young people. There are old-age, retirement, 55 and older communities that they are known for this. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, maybe you didn't know this. Maybe I'm waking you up to something you didn't know. This is, this is huge in America today. It's acceptable. It is planned. The Greeks and Romans did it too. The Gentiles lived that way. They had whole organized religions around it. 
temple prostitutes. You want to worship the God, go to the temple and you pick one out. Pay your money, you sleep with her or him. Yeah. Paul says that's not how it works. Don't be like the Gentiles. Get a wife and be committed to her. All right, so let's look at this. We want to please God. That's our focus. This is the will of God. You want to know what God wills for you? This isn't a secret. It isn't hard to figure out. Paul tells us straight up. Our sanctification. What does that mean? Anybody? Bueller. <laughs> or being set aside for God. Yeah. Becoming like him. Being set aside, dedicated to him, pleasing God. Our sanctification is pleasing God. Becoming like Christ. Have a wife and be devoted to her. That's God's will for your life. Or if you're a wife, have a husband and be devoted to him. And I'm not saying that you're a doormat or anything like that. That's what we're talking about. We're saying that it's a two-person relationship. The rest of the world is irrelevant. You're not out there swinging, picking them up, choosing them. No, you marry her and you work it. The rest of your life. It's a, it's a tough choice. But that's the way it is. Our world today, now that we've thrown off the shackles of the Victorian era, have freed sex, as they say from the 60s. And it's just like the Roman and Greek culture. I really don't find us a whole lot different. We're in the midst of legalizing Aspects that were even repulsive to the Gentiles. Uh, they did it, but homosexuality, homosexual marriages, uh, and now we've got something they never even dreamt up. The whole trans thing, there was no way to change, go and have surgeries and all that. That wasn't possible. Oh, there were cross-dressers back then and, and, and stuff like that. But nothing to the scale of hormonal replacement therapies. And, so, and now we're doing it with children. <coughs> we're doing it with children. Yeah. Now, abortion's nothing new. Uh, that, that's, I mean, they would just have the babies and throw them off bridges. The Christians were well known for hanging out under the bridges to catch the babies that were being tossed that nobody wanted because of all their orgies and swinging parties and, and all that. Um, and Paul says that's, that's, that's not acceptable. Not in the Christians. We're going to see, so at some point we'll get to Corinthians. The Corinthians were even worse with this. And, but the Thessalonians, they were having issues. And he says, don't do it. Get a wife and be devoted to her. We are not to be chasing after others. It's just not done among the Christians, or at least it shouldn't be. Now look, they're extenuating circumstances, I get that. Um, and Paul tells us that if, if somebody, if your spouse wants to divorce you and leave, then let them go. Especially if they're not a non-believing spouse. There, there's all that. 
But we, th this is focused on us, the individual, you sitting right here right now. You're not to be chasing after others. That's what we control. We can't control other people. And we don't look at them and say, well, now they see what they're doing. And no, we're, we're supposed to look at our own lives and see what we're doing. Are we being more Christ-like? It isn't a matter of judgment on others. This is about judging ourselves. How are we relating? Are we devoted to our spouse? Or do we have the wandering eye? If we do, then let's roll it in. Pull it in. We have to tell no. That's where that little fight goes because it's going to be that sound voice. Maybe you didn't have that voice before. I guarantee after this, you're not going to have that voice because you're going to be thinking about what I've just said. And you're going to have to turn your head. And you're going to have to look and think and choose. It's a choice. In our world today, that has gotten so hard. The world, you know, like I said, like 40 years ago. No, I guess it's no, I guess it's almost 60 years now. Yeah. 60 years ago, this wasn't a really big issue. It wasn't even talked about. But it is now. The call to godliness never stops. There is always something else we can learn. One more habit we can conquer. Another practice we can adopt. One of the most important areas of holiness is our sexuality. There is so much written, particularly in the New Testament, about it. Paul addresses this with almost every group he writes to because it was so prevalent in his society. We tried to purge it in the Western world by repressing it, and that's not the answer. You can't repress it. We can't board ourselves up in a monastery the way the monks did and try to hide away. Look at what that's led to for them. It doesn't work because we're supposed to be in the world and we're supposed to be the light of the world. How can you be the light if you're hiding? When you live this correctly, your pe the people in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, and all those things are going to look and go, why aren't you like us? Why aren't you? They're going to get mad at you eventually because they're going to think, well, you're just, you're just all that hobby-totty lording it over us. No, we're not. I'm happy with my spouse. Why do I need anything else? Sexuality right now is destroying this entire country. It is so potent in politics that nobody can say anything that's proper without being totally destroyed or lambasted. We've got thousands upon thousands of people protesting right now for the right to kill babies. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Queen Victoria and how she would respond to such a thing? Can you imagine the early Puritans? They would be appalled. They wrote all these things to give us freedoms. They published papers. They fought a war so that we would be free from the rule and tyranny of a king and could say and do whatever we wanted. They never thought in their lives that this would be what we would use it for. The holiness, our holiness in sexuality is crucial because the world, since time immemorial, 
has used it to pervert everything. And it usually is, revolves around religion. Think of all those Canaanite religions. They all had sexual components. All the Roman and Greek gods had sexual components to their religion. Same with the Egyptians and all that. The, the only places you don't find that is like Buddhism, where you're supposed to sit by yourself on the side of a cliff and just navel gaze into nothing. And the idea is to have nothing, be attached to nothing, be part of nothing. It's the complete opposite of everything the world says today. That's why it's not very popular. Comments, questions? This is an everyday issue. We're going to have to deal with it for a long time. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 9 through 12. Somebody. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do more to, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Thank you. The Thessalonian converts were likely from the working class. They don't seem to have been like the, the rich elites. They seem to have been the working class people. And they had this expectation of the immediate coming of Christ. Uh, the, the idea that Jesus' imminent return was any day. We got a lot of people that think that way nowadays. We've got others that think that it's never happening. And, and all that. But the idea was that he was coming soon. You know that song, soon and very soon. Yeah. Well, they, they believed this, and so they quit working. They neglected their jobs, their, their shops. Like I said, they were the working class. Um, and they, they quit doing what they were supposed to do. And they became dependent on others. A lot of people take this and they want to um, make this about money. And it is, but it isn't. They want to make it about not taking out loans, owing people things. And that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking to people who had given up doing the daily things of life to be ready for the coming of Christ. And Paul says, no, that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Um, understand that the expectation to be waiting and looking for the return of the Lord is right, but that not quitting life is not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live life to its fullest. We're supposed to enjoy it and be ready at a moment's notice for his return. The issue being that begging on the streets was characterized by the poorest and meanest of the people. This wasn't normal. So here are Christians claiming to be Christians, 
acting as the poorest of the poor, those that were lepers and actually couldn't work and stuff like that. The only other groups that did this sort of thing were the cynics. The cynic philosophers believed that they shouldn't have anything um, because they were trying to get themselves. This is where a lot of those Eastern religions came from, the Greek cynics, that the world doesn't really exist and that nothing is and all that, but you know what, I'm hungry, so I need some bread. And they, they would beg for it, and then they, they would do it. And Paul says, don't we like these people? Work. Depend on no one. See, the depending on no one isn't that you, you took a loan to get your house or your car or whatever. There, there's a lot of guys out there teaching that sort of stuff. We should depend on no one. Uh, that's, that's not what he meant. Um, we we want to have a good reputation. What you should have is a good credit score. That's a good reputation as far as business. When they look you up, they should go, oh, yeah, that's a pretty decent guy. Um, that sort of thing. It's the daily work. See, this is a call to sanctification. It's a daily thing. We know what the will of God is. It's The will of God is for us to be sanctified. Well, guess what? That's daily work. It's daily work in terms of loving others. Now, the Thessalonians didn't have any issues with that. They could love other people. <laughs> they did this really well. So well that other cities, other places in Macedonia knew of it. They were the example in it. But it's to live quietly. All this call to arms and protesting and all that, that's not living quietly, is it? See, the, the problem is, is that we live in a society that I don't think Paul ever dreamt of. And we have to look at Scripture, and we have to study it to figure out what our roles are. Because we live in a representative form of government where I'm part of the machine of government, aren't I? I go, and I vote, and I cast a ballot, and I can have an opinion. In those days, there was what? The emperor. The emperor and his governors, and they said what they wanted you to do. You really didn't have any choice. Are you sure it's not that different now? Well, <laughs> they're trying to get us back to that. We at least have the image of having image. some control. So I have the right to protest. Do I need to flex that right? I think if God calls you to being in politics, that's different. If he's calling people to rule, to be involved in that sort of thing, that, that, that's different. But for the average person, the average guy, uh, we're to live quietly, he says. Just be part of life. Go with it. Why do we care where everything is going? It's all going to burn anyway. Remember, the imminent return of Christ. Do we need to get caught up in all this? There's so much for us to do in our own lives. Because let's face it, you start getting involved in politics, your sanctification is one of the first things that goes out the window, doesn't it? Because <laughs> you've got to be angry. And you've got to be outraged. He tells us to mind our own affairs. Don't be a busybody. I don't care what's going on in other states. I live here. I don't care what's going on in Montgomery County. I live in Chester County. Don't worry about that. 
We, we, we get so caught up. We've got people that go from city to city to city protesting and boycotting and, and throwing bricks and bottles and, and all that. It's, we got enough to take care of ourselves. I, I've got enough here. Everybody's like, did you hear what happened in so-and-so's church? No, I've got, there are 500 people here. I, I don't have time to worry about anybody else's church. That's their pastor's problem. Our daily work is, is focused on the brothers that he's connected you to, the body that you're in, your own home affairs. And we're supposed to be employed. We're supposed to do something with our hands. That doesn't mean that we're, we're like the Amish and we gotta go out there and work hard and all that. But it's, the idea is, is that you're a productive member of society. This is a whole goal of our education system when it was founded, was that they would understand the world around them so that they could love others, so that they could live quietly, so they could mind their own affairs, and they could be employed. That's a productive member of society, isn't it? Guess what? That's a productive member in God's society. When we focus on him and we contribute and we work together and love each other and are concerned and called for each other. We do these things because that's what God calls us to. The world has other ideas though, don't they? They want to mobilize and militarize as many people as they can to get their way, to push their agenda. Jesus didn't call for that, did he? What did he call for? Yes, love one another. Peter, put up your sword. He had thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people chanting the day he entered Jerusalem. Do you think he could have Forced his will on the people. He could have called down legions when he hung on the cross. He didn't. It isn't about us changing the world by force arms. That was the whole problem with the Crusades. Violence was never the answer. If Christ had wanted to use violence or force of arms to have his will done on earth, he most certainly could have. His choice, weapon, to change the world to be like him was what? Word. The word. Through? Holy Spirit. Okay, embodied in us. It's us. The study of the word changes us. The Holy Spirit gnaws at us to conform us to Christ so that we become him. When we start to look like him, the world begins to notice, don't they? They just usually get mad. Because they realize how far they are from what God wanted. This is his world. 
We know he exists, whether we're willing to admit it or not. We know he's out there. And when we conform to him, when we allow ourselves to be sanctified, when we make the choice, when we study the word, and that the Holy Spirit begins pulling and twisting this area and that area, and we begin to get that shape that is Jesus Christ, we become pleasing to God. Our life may not be easy. It may not look great. We may not have wealth, power, and all the things that the world struggles to get. But we have this loving for others. And the world screams, why? Climb over that fool. Take the next level. Why support that guy? He's your boss. Just stab him in the back, drag him down, and throw him off the ladder and climb up, right? That's what the world teaches. That's what the world wants us to do. But when we don't, when we show love by helping the guy, holding him up in his spot because, hey, he's the boss, and I respect him and honor him for the position. Maybe he is an idiot. But when I continue to do that, the world screams, why? Or quit, go get a better job somewhere else. Maybe it becomes too much and you do quit and move on. There's nothing wrong with that. But it should never be to his detriment. See, that's where self-sacrifice comes in. Loving one another is usually costly to us. I mean, you look at all the times Jesus talks about it including the Good Samaritan. It cost that guy all sorts of stuff. But he didn't bother because this was helping that guy. It probably cost us. It probably will cost us a lot. We could do better. We could make more. We could, we could move ahead. But is that the goal of life? Or is becoming more Christ-like the goal of life. It's certainly the will of God. We should work hard at living wholesome, responsible lives, not only to please God, but to achieve a good reputation for Christ's church and his people. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age where Christians are seen no different than the rest of the world. And in some cases, particularly small business, they're not even desirable. We don't want that guy. We don't have a great reputation in small business areas. We're cheap. We're manipulative. We should be working at living a wholesome, responsible life. That means being honest. You show up, bid a job, be up front. This is what it's going to cost. Maybe you don't get the work. But how often, well, I can cut this corner and I can do, we're, we're trying to get ahead financially. Are we getting ahead spiritually? Being honest. Doing things like paying your taxes. How often I hear Christians they get caught, they, 
money under the table. They didn't pay their taxes. And then they want to come up with, well, I don't believe in taxes and all that. And they, they start, you know, trying to Christianize it and quoting scripture and stuff. Even Jesus paid his taxes. <coughs> How about not trying to get one over on someone? Always trying to get a leg up. Having that document that somebody put together and holding it over them. And you don't do what I say, I'm going to use this. I'm going to send this up the chain. I'm going to release this to the public. What about being a friend? Shred the thing. Having all the chips in the, in the mat in the game doesn't make you a better person. Being more like Christ, who had all the chips that there were to have from the game, never cashed one of them in, did We're supposed to imitate him. Comments, questions. <coughs> All right, a couple things to take home with us. Our salvation is lived out by seeking to please God. If you should ask that question a million times a day, is what I'm about to do going to please God? Or is it going to please me? Pleasing God should please you. But if it isn't going to please Him, but it will please you, it's probably not something you should do. Secondly, sanctification includes striving towards holiness in our sexual lives. That is a tall challenge in today's world. And one we need to strive for. Lastly, non-believers are impacted by the faithful lives of us. You know what, people? We cannot change it at the polls. We cannot change it at the voting booth. I don't care who we elect or don't elect. Who gets in? Who sits on the Supreme Court? Who's in the White House? None of that is relevant. Non-believers are only impacted by the faithful lives of us living them. When they see you living like Christ, their life will be changed. It is not just enough to be saved. We must abound in works of faith. Let's pray. Lord, You've given us works to do. Father, help us to recognize them and see them every day. Father, give us the strength to choose to live and work those things so that we may be the beacon you wish us to be in our communities. Lord, help us to change our world in our little corner by living the sanctified life that you have for us. Give us that strength, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.